Welcome to Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church, Avon Park, Florida. Jesus is pointing to himself, and he's pointing to God, saying God is a spirit. So if you're going to approach God in worship, you have to approach him through the spirit, not through the flesh. You must approach God in the spirit. You already have the fullness of him, but just ask God, fill me with the Holy Spirit, and you will want nothing else. Welcome to the Midweek Edition of Living Faith. The Midweek Edition features teaching from our Wednesday night student Bible study, FBC 180. Our current series is Foretaste, Corporate Worship and Eternity. Did you know that our corporate worship time on Sunday morning is just a sample, a foretaste of heaven? As believers gather to sing praises, offer prayers, and hear God speak to us through His Word, we are, in essence, rehearsing for eternity where we will, with the angels and the saints from every tribe and tongue, join in to honor and glorify God through Jesus Christ. This series is helping our students understand the importance and centrality of corporate worship on Sunday morning by teaching them what the Bible has to say about why and how we worship as a believing community. So get your Bible and pen and let's join in on Foretaste, Corporate Worship, and Eternity. So we've been in this new series. This is now our fifth week. And if you've been paying attention to what I've been saying leading up to this time, you know that up until this time, the first four weeks of our new series, uh, the series is called Foretaste, as you can see, Foretaste. And it's a foretaste because it's a sample of heaven. It's a little bit of a taste of eternity. And what I mean is the sample of heaven, the taste of heaven, is corporate worship. Someone tell me what corporate worship is. Worshiping with a lot of people. Let's get specifically. What is corporate worship here at First Baptist Church? Sunday morning at what time? 10.45. Every single Sunday morning at 10.45 is our weekly corporate worship service. On the first day of the week, just like the early Christians met and worshipped. And that's what we're talking about. What the importance of that that goes on over there is. Remember, I tell you very often that if you're going to have to choose between coming to something here at First Baptist Church, between our youth activities on Wednesday nights and our adult services on Sunday morning, I would rather you sacrifice tonight and come on Sunday morning for this very reason. Only corporate worship, when we're gathered with all the body of Christ, not only your peers and other students, but adults and elderly people and everyone in between, only then is that corporate worship where the church is gathered together to worship God in this specific way that we're talking about. That is a foretaste of heaven. Can someone tell me why that is a foretaste of heaven more so than what we're doing right now? Okay, it's not going to be just individuals and God in heaven. It's going to be all the saints and all the angels. But why is that more important than what we're doing right now in terms of our group? Yes, Alexis. We are only a small portion of the church. So are we the church? Well, yes, we, we are because we're, we're believers in Jesus. But we are not the gathered church. We are a little faction of it, just like children's church. And then we have our little youth time here tonight. But only when we come together are we this picture of what heaven will be, this corporate foretaste of heaven. So that's what we've been talking about. The first four lessons have been about why. Why do we do corporate worship? What's it all about? Okay, so we answered the question, what was the foundation of 
corporate worship. From the Old Testament, the temple, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the priesthood. And I told you every single week that all those things were fulfilled in whom? In Jesus. Now, how did Jesus fulfill the priesthood? Somebody. How did Jesus fulfill or complete or do away with the priesthood of the Old Testament? He sacrificed himself. Very good. Yeah, he didn't go into the earthly temple with a lamb or a goat or a bull, but he went into the heavenly temple and sacrificed himself on the cross for your sins and for my sins. Jesus is the truer temple. He's the tabernacle. He's where God dwells, where God lives. And we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. So that's the why of worship. We worship corporately because Jesus has made us one body in himself and has commanded us to do it. This week, we're moving into another question. Not why corporate worship, but how do we do corporate worship? So now we're beginning two weeks on the question of how. And our question tonight is, as you can see, does it matter how we worship? Does it matter how we worship? And obviously, I would hope that you would understand the answer is yes. Tonight we're going to specifically talk about this reason. Jesus said we must worship in spirit and in truth. Does it matter how we worship? Now we're not talking about the what's of worship tonight, like the piano and the organ and the singing and the preaching. We're not talking about the elements of worship. Tonight we're talking about how we worship individually. How, when we come together as a church, does it matter what attitude you come with? Does it matter what mindset you're in when you come to worship? Does it matter how you're approaching worship? And the answer is yes, because Jesus said we must worship in spirit and in truth. And that might sound like a, a, an odd statement from Jesus, and we're going to really uncover what that means tonight. So to do that, let's turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Has anybody ever heard the story of the woman at the well? Uh, John chapter 4, verse 1. The woman at the well, the story is very simple. Jesus is on his way to Samaria, which is, in, which is north of Judah. Remember, as you're going through your Sunday school lessons and as you're attending Sunday morning corporate worship and Pastor John is preaching through the book of... Who? Amos. Amos. Remember what's happened to Israel by the time of Amos? What's happened to the kingdoms of Israel? They are divided into two, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. Samaria is in the north. And they are a mixed breed of what is left over from the time when Israel is destroyed by Syria. And so what you have north of Judah in the northern kingdom of what used to be Israel, after Assyria has sacked and taken Israel captive and destroyed it basically, you have a mixed breed of Jews, Syrians. They're no longer a purely Jewish race. So what do you think the southern, Judah, uh, the southern kingdom of Judah what do you think them being pure Jews, because even though they were carried off into exile in Babylon, they were kept together. What do you think them being pure Jews think of the people in the north who are mixed with other races? They don't like them and they're bad. More than that, the Samaritans now have their own form of worship, which they adapted from Judaism. So they no longer think it's necessary to go to the temple and to use the Aaronic priesthood or the sacrificial system in Jerusalem. They have their own mountain, their own temple, their own way of worship. And that's the scene in which Jesus is coming to this. Jesus is a Jew, and now he's being confronted by a Samaritan woman about an issue concerning worship. That's where this story picks up, John chapter 4. Let's just go to um, John chapter 7. Uh, John chapter 4, verse 7, sorry. John chapter 4, verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, so Jesus is already there at the well. Jesus says, give me a drink. 
for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That's a nice little note from John. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, this is great, just completely getting in her business. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. <laughs> and the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. There's that worship conflict. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So this is a great story of this woman at the well. Do you think it's a coincidence or a random chance that Jesus runs into this woman at the well? Jesus is brought face to face with this woman, not by chance, not by a random act of coincidence, but by God's sovereign plan. So not only for her salvation, and as you'll see, the salvation of her village, but so that we could read this story and gain some insight from it. The woman is caught up in several things. We're going to talk about this. One, the woman was caught up in physical promises and earthly locations. What's the first example we see of this? Look at verse 7. Jesus says to her, give me a drink. And the woman says, how is it that you, Jew, you Jews ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And then Jesus goes on to talk about the living water. Verse 11, what does the woman say? What is she fixed up in that's physical and earthly? Jesus is talking about spiritual living water, but all she can think about is what? The physical water at the well they're sitting on, Jacob's well. And she says, sir, you don't have anything to draw water with, and the well is deep. So how are you actually going to give me this water you're talking about? So the woman is caught up in physical and earthly things. Next, what does she ask Jesus about when she's talking about worship? You Jews say that we ought to worship in Jerusalem on that mountain, but we Samaritans worship here on this mountain. What, what is she fixated on there that's earthly and physical? The where of worship, the temple in Jerusalem or this place here? She's caught up in these earthly locations and physical promises. Two, Jesus confronts her spiritual need. 
I love how Jesus just cuts right through the, the whole thing. Look in verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well to drink from and drank from it himself, as did his sons. And then Jesus just jumps right back to the spiritual conversation. Everyone who drinks the water from this physical well will be thirsty again. But if you will drink the water I will give you, the living water, you will never be thirsty again. Jesus keeps jumping back to the spiritual. What happens the second time? This is great. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come where? Here to draw water. She's still thinking physical. If you just give me this water you're talking about, Jesus, that makes me not have to be thirsty again, I won't have to come back to this well anymore and draw water. Now, what is Jesus, where does Jesus go now? Does he even stay on subject? Look at verse 16. What does he do? Yeah, go call your husband. Knowing that the lady is living with a man that is not her husband and has already had five husbands before him. So Jesus jumps right back to the heart of the matter, which isn't this water from this physical well, but it's her spiritual need to be satisfied. Now, we're not passing judgment on anyone. We're just thinking hypothetically about this woman. What do you think it says about her nature if she has gone through five men, cannot stay committed to anyone, and is currently living with a man that is not her husband, who she will probably leave for another husband? Does it seem that this woman is content and satisfied with earthly pleasure? No. And she's going from one person to the next, 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 and she's thirsty. Now, is she thirsty for living water? If the woman is needing a drink of water, okay, what thirst is Jesus speaking to? Is he talking about her spiritual thirst for liquid water? It's, no, he's talking to her need to be accepted, her need to be loved, her lack of contentment, and her lack of satisfaction. And he's saying, lady, don't you get the point? It's not about this physical water in this well. It's about this living water that can fix all of your problems in a spiritual way. Three, Jesus points to spiritual reality. Still fixated on the well, still fixated on the temple and where we ought to worship. Jesus turns the conversation again. It's not about the temple in Jerusalem. It's not about this mountain either. There's a time coming when men who worship the Father will worship Him in spirit and in truth. What does that even mean? Let's look at that one. What's that phrase mean? Spirit and truth. Sometimes it helps to understand what something isn't to understand what it is. So if Jesus is saying worship in spirit and truth, let's look at the opposite of that. One, it's the opposite of the flesh. So if He says you must worship in spirit... The opposite negative command is, you must not worship in the flesh. Flesh is what? It's physical, right? You can touch it and feel it. It's materialism. It's here. It's right now. What did we say the woman was fixated with? Physical water, physical locations, earthly promises. Obviously fixated on the lust of the flesh that she can't seem to satisfy with all these men. And Jesus is saying, the real need is spiritual. The real need is on the inside. Jesus is pointing to a, a spiritual reality. So it's the opposite of the flesh. Number two, if it's the opposite of truth, it's the opposite of falsehood. To worship God in truth means you must not worship Him in falsehood or with deceit or with dishonesty. So what do you think Jesus is calling this woman to do? When He says, take the living water... He calls her out on her sin with her five husbands and her live-in right now, and he says, go get all of them and bring them back. 
bring them here and confront them with the living water. Jesus is saying, repent of your sin, turn to me, and I will give you the spiritual water that will always satisfy you. And you'll stop this running from one man to the next to the next to the next to try and find your satisfaction. Now, obviously, this applies to everyone in here. We're not just talking about women running from men to men to men to men. Okay? We're talking about all of us in our reckless pursuit of anything and everything to bring us satisfaction and pleasure here and now. And really, isn't that what everybody is trying to do in the whole world? Is try to find satisfaction and some sort of temporal, earthly form of happiness? But Jesus is saying, if you will just come to me, I will supply that need in the truest sense because it's not about the physical, temporal things of this world. It's about the eternal things that bring joy not only now, but forever. It goes far beyond all of these physical relationships and earthly promises that this woman had in mind, and it goes to the heart of the situation. Number three, worshiping God according to his true nature, which is spirit. Remember our friends, the Mormons? Well, they're our friends. They're not our, they're not our brothers and sisters, but they are friends. They should be your friends. Uh, what do they teach about God? Elohim, remember? That he was one point a man, and that he is now even a body of flesh and bones. What does Jesus say here that directly contradicts that? God is what? Spirit. God does not have a body of flesh and bones. God is not a man like you and me. That's why Jesus says if you want to approach God, it's not about approaching him through physical earthly means. We've gone beyond the tabernacle. We've gone beyond the temple. And even those things were just pictures, right? They weren't like the ultimate reality. They were just pictures. Nod your head. That's true. They were just pictures of what was to come in Jesus. So they were not earthly, physical things you could go and contact God with. They were pointing the way to Jesus. So through all of this, Jesus is pointing to himself, and he's pointing to God, saying God is a spirit. He cannot be touched. He doesn't have flesh and bones. He's not tangible. He's not made up of the material of earth. So if you're going to approach God in worship, you have to approach him through the spirit, not through the flesh. It's not about what you can do or what you can work for or what you can earn. It's about worshiping God through the Spirit. Let's turn back two chapters to John chapter 2, verse 18. We've gone through this once before, but I wanted to reiterate it as we look into uh, this whole topic of worshiping God in spirit and in truth. In the wilderness, the people of Israel worshiped God where? Not in the temple. Tabernacle, which was the portable form of the temple which was in Jerusalem when they got to the promised land. What went on in the tabernacle and the temple each and every day? Sacrifices. Sacrifices were performed by who? The priests and the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement. This is where we spoke a few weeks ago of Jesus saying that he is the temple. Look at John chapter 2, verse 18. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? This is after Jesus turned over all the, the money changers' tables. And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So first of all, Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. That'll be the sign I give to you. 
and then you still won't believe in me, but that'll be my ultimate sign. You destroy the temple, I'll raise it up in three days. What did the Jewish leaders think he was talking about when he said the temple? The physical temple that they were standing in at that moment. And can you blame them? No. We're humans. We're limited to this physical understanding that unless we intentionally think beyond it, we're kind of trapped here. We tend to always think that way. So these Jewish leaders think, well, he's talking about the temple. It's taken us 46 years to build this. And they're a little bit angry about it. How dare you, Jesus, say you're going to destroy this temple. It's taken us 46 years to build. And then you by yourself are going to rebuild it in three days. But Jesus wasn't talking about the physical temple. Again, these people are fixated on the physical, temporal, earthly things. Jesus was talking about the temple that was his body. Now, how did Jesus destroy the temple that was his body and raise it up again in three days? He sacrificed himself on the cross, he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. Okay, that's what Jesus was talking about. That's the sign I'm going to give you. If you want a sign from me, you want a miracle, I'm going to die, be buried, and then I'm going to rise again. So Jesus claims to be the true temple. So number one, Jesus was speaking of himself. Number two, Jesus is the true temple. And that's because, number three, Jesus is the goal. He's the climax. He's the point of true worship. There's no longer a temple. There's no longer a need for a tabernacle. There's no longer a need for a, need for a priest or sacrifices or any of those earthly temporal things that were in place because Jesus has now come who is the temple and he is fulfilling those things in himself. Jesus was talking about himself. Let's keep going. Go to John chapter 14. Same book. A couple chapters later, John chapter 14. In the tabernacle and in the temple, who dwelt there? God. Now remember, he couldn't be contained in the tent. He couldn't be contained in the temple because he is uncontainable just everywhere. But he said, I will put my glory and my presence in a tangible way in those places so that you can have contact with me. And then he gave them specific ways in which to make contact with him, which if they were to disobey, they would die. So God was protecting them by giving them these specific ways to approach him. So God dwelt in the tabernacle. God dwelt in the temple. God, remember we just said this from John chapter 4, Jesus said God is not a man, but spirit. There you go. You're getting it. God is not a man, but God is spirit. So let me ask you this question. How did God dwell in the temple and in the tabernacle? How? Was, was he literally there? Like if you open the temple, there's God sitting there, you know, eating something. What is he, what, what, how did God dwell in those places? Part of his glory, right? He wasn't there. I'm going to give you a hint. God wasn't there physically. He was there spiritually. Now this word has torn all the pieces in modern day circles because everybody can consider themselves spiritual. You hear people say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. That means that you know they think there is something like a God or angels and stuff, but they're not really sure what it is. I'm not talking about that kind of spiritually. God dwelt there by his spirit. I'm talking specifically about the Holy Spirit. God dwelt in the temple and the tabernacle by his spirit. I should have made that a point, so write that down. God dwelt in the temple and the tabernacle by his spirit. Because that's going to make all the difference as we keep moving forward. God dwelt in the temple and in the tabernacle by his spirit. Good grief. I should have wrote this down too. Coincidentally, when Jesus is baptized, remember God says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
what do we see coming down out of heaven? The Spirit like a dove, resting on Jesus, who is the true temple. Mm, Isn't that good? God dwelt in the temple and the tabernacle by His Spirit. Jesus is the true temple. The Spirit descends to rest on Him before He starts His ministry. So now we continue. John chapter 14. Remember, Jesus has the Holy Spirit. He's promised to give it to you. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, we like to throw this verse around as showing that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and that is something that this verse teaches. But do you remember something else that we talked about from the book of Genesis, maybe from the life of Jacob, that this kind of uh, references back to? Anybody? Anybody? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. What kind of vision? What was the vision that Jacob had when he laid his head down there in the wilderness? Well, yes, that happened too, before that. He saw something. He saw the stairway to heaven, the ladder that came down from heaven. What was going up and down on the stairway? Angels ascending and descending. Do you remember what Jesus said about that? You will see the Son of Man glorified and angels ascending and descending on him. So Jesus was claiming to be that stairway to heaven. So when he, yeah, mm, take it in. When (laughs) Jesus... When Jesus says, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, yes, that means that he's the only way to heaven, but you also need to think of it in this term, that Jesus is your only access to God in worship. If you're going to come and worship God, truly, you must come through Jesus because he alone is the only portal to heaven. So when Muslims gather to worship, whether they say God or Allah, They cannot worship God because they are not going through Jesus. There's no access granted outside of Jesus. When Jews, modern-day Jews, worship God, even though they might be talking about this same God, Jehovah, from the Old Testament, because they are not going through Jesus, there is no access. Okay, So you see how this makes Jesus, this portal, this opening into heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Look at uh, later in John chapter 14, look at verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Look at verse 17. Does anybody see anything familiar about how Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit based on our discussion earlier from the woman at the well? Verse 17. What does he call the Spirit? How does he refer to the Spirit that kind of reminds us of something he said to the woman at the well? How did he tell the woman at the well, you have to worship God? Say it, say it. In spirit and in truth. Now look at John 14, 17 and tell me how Jesus refers to the spirit that makes that point. He calls him the spirit of truth. And guess what? If you believe in Jesus, it says he will be in you. What did I say about God dwelling in the temple and the tabernacle? He dwelt in them by what? The Holy Spirit. So when you come to Christ by faith and he fills you with his spirit... That's the fulfillment of the temple and the tabernacle. You are now a house for God. 
Remember all that stuff? And it's not just any spirit, but it's the spirit of truth. So now by the Holy Spirit, you're able to worship God in spirit and in truth. So number one, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Number two, the Spirit, I love this verb, tabernacles in the believer. Anytime you see in the Bible, dwelt with, lives in, dwells in, it's the same word. It goes back to that old word, tabernacle. The Spirit tabernacles in believers. And number three, he's called the Spirit of truth because he's our teacher. Let's go later, John 14, verse 26. But the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Let's go somewhere else. I think it's John. I didn't put this in your notes, so help me here. John 7. Yes, John 17. Uh, John 7, verse 37. It's not in your notes. You're just going to have to hang on. John 7, 37. In the Hebrew form of worship in the Old Testament, they're given several feasts or like what we would call holidays, except theirs kind of last a long time, maybe like weeks, they'll last like a week. And one of those feast times, one of those holidays they celebrated was called the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tents, however you had Feast of Huts, whatever you want to say. It's the Feast of Things You Live In in the Wilderness. What do you think the Jews were supposed to remember when they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, when they literally built tents in their backyard and went out there and lived for a week. What do you think they were supposed to be remembering during that time? The 40 years wandering in the wilderness in tents. And not only that, but how God provided for them and how God was their God even as they wandered in the wilderness and lived in huts or tabernacles. Okay? So this feast, still celebrated by many Jews today, it ended with this climactic point when in Jerusalem, the high priest would go down to a pool, which was just a bathing place and maybe a swimming place. They didn't really distinguish between the two. And they would, he would get up a big pitcher of water, and there would be a big procession back to the temple. And when he went to the temple with this big pitcher of water from this pool of Siloam, or the, the, the pool of peace, really, he would pour it out on the altar. And then they would say, a certain psalm. Okay, keep your finger in John 7. Go to Psalm 118 because this is the psalm they would recite when this happens. Okay, verse 25. So when the priest at the end, listen, listen, I want you, I got, you got to remember everything. At the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Tents, the things that people dwell in that should remind you of the temple, tabernacle and temple that God dwelt in. At the end of that feast, the priest got the water, he went back to the temple, poured it out, and then when the priest did this, the people all sang this song back to him. Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So that was kind of the liturgical, you know, in our church services, we end with an invitation, and we don't sing the same hymn every, every time. But in some churches, they sing the same songs every week, uh, like the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Some churches sing that every week, and it's part of what we call a liturgy or an order of service. So at this time in the Festival of Booths, each and every year, when the priest poured out that water on the altar, the people would just immediately, almost like a reflex, respond Save us, O Lord, we pray, and give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Now look back to John 7, verse 37. Those of you with ESV Bibles, I mean, other Bibles are good too, but this one has a, the ESV has a, a heading at the beginning of John chapter 7. What does it say there? Jesus goes to the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, so that's the setting. The setting is the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. And specifically, it's that last day when the priest is pouring that water out over the altar. The symbol of God's provision for his people in the wilderness. Old Testament, physical promises, earthly locations. Then Jesus says this, John 7, 37. And I want you to see the verb here. On the last day of the feast, the great day, when the priest is pouring the water, okay, it's that day. Jesus stood up, and what does it say he did? Cried out, shouted with a loud voice for everyone around him to hear. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. That should blow your mind. It blew mine today just kind of reading, reading through it. Here is the Feast of Tabernacles, where the people are called to be reminded of their traveling in the wilderness and how God dwelt in the midst of them in a literal tent, a tabernacle, where the priests did the sacrifices. That's what this is all supposed to remind them of. And each and every year they do this, just like they did Passover and the Day of Atonement and the New Year. It was something they did every year so that they remembered what God did for them and how God brought them to the Promised Land and how God had promised them a future deliverance in the Messiah. And when the priest poured out that water on the altar, it was supposed to symbolize the time when Israel was thirsty in the desert. And God opened a spring in a rock for the people to drink from. And they drank freely and they were satisfied. Remember the woman at the well? What was she coming to the well for? Water, because she was thirsty. And she comes to this literal well with literal water to fulfill her literal thirst. And then Jesus, on this most important high holiday, the Feast of Tabernacles, even as the climax is coming and the priest is pouring out the water on the altar and the people are saying, what? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Little did they know, just like that woman at the well, that Jesus was right there in the midst of them, the one that was coming in the name of the Lord. And then suddenly, somewhere out of the side of the crowd, Jesus cries out, I am the living water. And if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink freely. And I will give him a spring of water that will be in him and coming out of him forever and ever and ever. And what was he talking about? The Holy Spirit. And John says that was about to come on those who believed in him. So Jesus completed it. He did what he said he was going to do. I will give you rivers of living water inside of you that will never be dry. The Holy Spirit. If you're an unbeliever tonight, and you might not know what an unbeliever means, if you've never come to a place in your, time, in your life where you have said voluntarily and willingly, I confess Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I want to follow Him. Okay, that's what I mean. If you've never come to that point, you might believe in God, you might even believe, quote-unquote, in Jesus and believe that He existed. Maybe you've never placed your trust in Him. Jesus invites you tonight. 
instead of looking for your satisfaction and your contentment in everything else, whatever it is you're looking for, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rivers of living water. I will literally fill you with the Holy Spirit and you will want nothing else but me. That's what Jesus says. If you are a believer tonight, if you are a believer, you've come to faith in Christ, you've been baptized, you, you understand the gospel and have faith in Christ. That's what I mean by a believer. If you are that, the Bible says that you can receive multiple fillings of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Paul says to the Christian hearers he's writing to, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And their literal interpretation is, is keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to act crazy, necessarily. It doesn't mean you're going to speak in tongues, necessarily. It doesn't mean you're going to shout out and prophesy things, necessarily. There are certainly possibilities, but it doesn't necessarily mean that each and every time. But if you're a believer, how often, let me ask you this, how often do you as believers pray for God to fill you with the Holy Spirit? How often do you plead with God, fill me with your Spirit so that I can witness to my friends? so that I can share the gospel with boldness to people who don't know you. And you don't know those rivers of living water that you already have by faith in Christ. Ask for God to fill you with the Spirit. Lastly tonight, look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, looking at verse 3. It's really easy to get lost in this stuff. That's why you have to pay attention to all of these pictures and these, these words that keep popping back up. Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They lived in tabernacles. There was one tabernacle in the middle which was built for God's presence. He dwelt there by His Spirit. When they came to the Promised Land, they built a permanent tabernacle called the Temple where God dwelt by His Spirit. Jesus came and said, I am the true Temple, I am the true Tabernacle because the fullness of God is in me. And if you believe in Jesus, you can receive the fullness of God Two, you see how all this plays out. From literal tabernacle to you today, full of the Holy Spirit. That's what all this is about. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. For we are the real circumcision. That means we're the real Israel who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now this is Paul writing, so listen to what he says in verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also... If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, trash, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Very quickly, number one. Believers worship in the Spirit of God. That's what it means in verse 3. We're the real circumcision because we worship in the Spirit of God. Number two, 
There's some disagreement here among scholars as to whether this should be capital S, spirit, or little s, spirit. So does it refer to the Holy Spirit, or does it just refer to worshiping Christ spiritually ourselves? Either way, it doesn't matter. It means not in the flesh. Spirit or little s spirit, it doesn't matter. It just means not in the flesh. And number three, the fullness of glory in Christ. Let's read this last point. Corporate worship and eternity. Read it with me. Corporate worship is a foretaste of eternity as we find the fullness of God in the presence of Jesus by worshiping Him through the power of the Holy Ghost. And then lastly, our question, does it matter how we worship? Yes. Jesus said we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So let me tie a bow on it really quickly. Corporate worship, when we come together, cannot be approached just by the flesh. There are many people who come to our church and many churches week after week, even on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights, like regular attenders. And they think that just because they are there, they are somehow benefiting from what's being done. There are some people here tonight, and you think that just because you are here at church, God is looking at you like Santa Claus and is checking something off of your list that you've done good for this week. There are people that come to our church, there are people even here tonight, over here, over here, over here, that think that just because you're here in your body, I'm sitting here in church, right? that you're doing a favor for God and He's going to somehow turn around and bless you for just being here, that you've added a little merit to your name. That's what Jesus is talking about when He says you cannot worship God in the flesh. It's not about just sitting in a church building. It's not about just sitting here tonight. You're not doing God any favors by just being here tonight. You must approach God in the Spirit. And the only way to approach God through the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the only way to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to have faith in Jesus Christ. I say this week after week after week, if you do not know what that means, you're saying to yourself right now, I don't know what that means. If you don't know what faith in Jesus Christ means, you're asking yourself that right now. If that's you... Do not leave tonight without speaking to me or someone about what it means to believe the gospel, to be saved, to be assured of eternal life in heaven through Jesus. That's what that means. When that happens, Jesus fills you with the Spirit, makes you a tabernacle, a dwelling place for God. That's what all that stuff was pointing to in the Old Testament. All those tabernacles and temples and all the feasts and everything, it was pointing to the Holy Spirit living inside each and every one of you. And if you will believe in Jesus, He will fill you with the Holy Spirit and make you a witness for Himself. Again, if you're a believer tonight, you don't have any idea where to start witnessing to your lost friends and loved ones. Maybe you don't even know how you could articulate or speak the gospel. You don't even know where to start with witnessing. Maybe if I asked you right now as a believer, what is the gospel? And you would have to pause and think and try to make some words up for me. Ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. 
He's your teacher. He's your guide. He's your comforter. You already have the fullness of him, but just ask God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Allow me to witness to my friends and loved ones with boldness and allow me to see people saved. Let's pray tonight, and as we pray, you pray for those things. And if you do not know what it means to have faith and trust in Jesus Christ, do not leave tonight without speaking to me. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this night, for allowing us to open your word and to look at it, to gain insight from the scripture and what it means to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we understand that the opposite of spirit and in truth is trying to worship you in our flesh and trying to worship you falsely. God, whether that looks like us trying to earn our salvation or whether it looks like us just mindlessly sitting in a pew Sunday after Sunday, not listening, not singing, not praying, not caring, convict us. Bring us to worship you in spirit and in truth. For unbelievers here tonight, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would send your spirit on them even right now. Change their heart. Open their eyes to their need of you. Bring them to faith in you tonight. For believers tonight, Jesus, I ask that you would fill them with your spirit, even right now, that we would not have a body of complacent students, apathetic people that just sit around and think that all there is to church is coming on this night and eating pizza and drinking drinks and listening to me for as long as I talk and then just leaving. Change our hearts tonight, Lord Jesus, and fill us up so that when we leave this place, we would take these truths that we've learned and we would share them with others freely. Lord, we thank you for working in our youth group already, bringing people to faith in you through the witness of others, and we ask boldly that you continue to do that and that you would raise up new voices and give them full measures of your Holy Spirit to bring people to faith in you. As we go from this place tonight, Lord Jesus, keep us and bless us. Bring us back here on Sunday morning as we gather together with your body to worship you in spirit and in truth and get that foretaste of heaven. We ask all these things in Christ's name. That's all for this midweek edition of Living Faith. Listen in every week for more from the preaching and teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. You don't want to miss any of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Roll Down, Judgment and Restoration in the Prophecy of Amos. Our senior pastor, John Beck, will be walking us through that important Old Testament book in the coming weeks. For more information about FBC 180, the Youth and Family Ministry of First Baptist Church, you can go to our website at fbc180.com. You can find our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash firstbaptistavonparkyouth. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash fbcap180. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. Our Sunday service begins at 1045 in the morning. You can find all this information and more at fbcap.net. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next time on Living Faith.